All right, well, everyone, welcome to another episode of Creatives Grab Coffee, episode 45. And today we have our very first guest from the UK. We finally made it across the pond. We have Woo. Rupert Ni- Rickson. Yeah, <laughs> Rupert Rickson from Perspective Pictures here with us. Rupert, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's uh, great to make it across the pond as well. Let's just get the background out of the way first. So just tell us a little bit about how you got into the industry and a little bit about Perspective Pictures. Yeah, for sure. So um, I run a video production company called Perspective or Perspective Pictures. We've been going for something like seven years now. Uh, We make all sorts of video content. We're a team of 26, 27 people. We work with big clients like Red Bull and Deliveroo and, you know, people like that. And then kind of small companies as well. Uh, We produce all sorts of stuff from big Red Bull stunts on their YouTube channel with, you know, landing planes on helipads and things like that, uh, right down to kind of crowdfunding videos and startup social ads and, you know, things like that. Uh, My background initially was I kind of started loads of different businesses when I was like from the age of 12. Uh, and I started a business renting out Nerf guns for kids' parties uh, and started a YouTube channel to promote that. Uh, and those videos started to go viral. And I was like, oh, this is sick. Filmmaking is super fun. Uh, and sort of followed that path, um, made a documentary where I skateboarded across America from L.A. to New York. Um, and that was just kind of, you know, kept growing from there. Nice, nice. So you've been operating the business where you said uh, seven years, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. It was our seventh birthday last week. Nice. Congrats. Wow. Happy <laughs> birthday. Thank you. It's a big one. It's a big one. Yeah, we've been doing it for roughly same amount of time, I think, Kirill. When did we start? 2015 or something, right? The end of 2014, 2015. So about eight, nine years or so. Um, but like we've covered in the past where essentially the first few years, we didn't really treat it like a business. It was more so like two freelancers hanging out. But we we consider now lapse more so in year three at this point, which, since we've actually started to focus uh, on the on it as a business itself. We're we're going by the pandemic year, so pandemic year zero. What was the transition for you guys? If you've been working together kind of like five six years, what was the like? Right, we're a company now. What like caused that? And what 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 different? What what actual difference in practicality was that? It it was really just when the when the pandemic happened. Like it, it, before the pandemic happened, actually, we noticed that we were plateauing at whatever stage we were at. And uh, as soon as the pandemic happened, we just we had a couple of uh, months of just, you know, we were in a weird mindset of like, there's no work coming in. What do we do? Whatever. And then uh, we just sat down one day and we started to think about um, laps as a business and how we could grow it and what we should do to like turn it into like a, 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 a growing business. Right. So like Carol said on other episodes, like the pandemic really forced us to rethink our whole business process. And then from there, we started networking with other businesses and it got us really thinking outside of the box. And then we started applying like all the knowledge we started learning to laps. And like I would say 2021 was like our first I can like we both consider it as like our first year as a business. Right. Like we mentioned in the past, it felt like before that we were really just two freelancers collaborating on projects. Uh, but if even when we weren't like two freelancers, it just felt like we didn't have the business knowledge that we needed to have to run a business. But then after the pandemic or during the pandemic, we kind of figured that stuff out. And every year it's just been compounding our, 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 our knowledge and expertise uh, uh, year after year. So that, I think that was the, the the thing that really transitioned us from, you know, being a freelancer to being a business. 
right, Kirill? Yeah, and the the one thing uh, that we notice, you know, with every year, just to kind of like start planning and trying to see what kind of milestones we could reach towards, you know, like one of the first things we're trying to aim for is to get like maybe our first one or two uh, full-time employees to join. Whereas you in seven years have managed to bring your team up to about 26, 27 people, which I'm very curious about. Like, what was it like going from just you to one person to three to then what, 26? Yeah. So, um, it's tough. Like, you know, the more people you hire, the more problems you're going to have. Like if every person on your team has like a really difficult issue once a year that you have to deal with, you know, for me as a manager director now, that's every two weeks. So that's like a big problem that you've got to kind of take on. And sometimes those are all at the same time. So, you know, the more people you get, like it's one of the disadvantages for sure of like the agency model, like your, your problems and in terms of process and structure and everything, it breaks every time you sort of double in size. Um, but from the beginning, I had like one team member who started from the very start who I sort of brought on because I just knew that I wasn't going to be someone that could sit in a room by myself and just kind of get through it. Uh, I had a friend of mine who was working in a garage and I was like, hey, do you want to come like earn 300 pounds a month or like, I don't know, $500 a month or whatever. And, you know, I'm going to try and build this business. Um, and then it sort of scaled from there. Like, and then there were different pain points. So like, for instance, get, when we got to 11 people, that was probably the worst period of time because that was when I still sort of managed everybody. So there wasn't this kind of clear structure of communication. Everything was still very open. Everything was like turn around in the office and speak. And when you get to about seven, eight people, that's where that starts to become a real problem. And 11 was the peak where I was like, fuck, like this is horrendous to manage this company like this. And for me to sit down every quarter and do everyone's reviews, everything else. And then when we got to like 15 people when we sort of introduced middle management it got so much easier because ultimately you start breaking people up into teams and now although we're a team of you know 26 we're what kind of four teams of you know seven or whatever it might be so now it's much easier to manage there's heads of department and and yeah so it's kind of a bit more straightforward not to say there's not still still problems and things that still don't get harder as you grow but your processes and everything just break every time you sort of double when you first get to seven people it breaks and 14 it breaks and you know etc that's pretty interesting because i think a lot of the uh the businesses we've we've spoken to they're very uh skeletal in a way but i think that they're either skeletal to the point where it's uh under i, I i'm guessing under eight people or they're like past like 15 people so there's like no in between so yeah. it's interesting to hear that at a certain point it just becomes too hard to manage um if you're just like like you were saying like you were managing everyone yeah versus like when when you get to a certain point then you got to bring in other people to manage other people right yeah absolutely and there's so many variables to that like there's two of you guys so you know that might change that number that, that looks like and then there's also um uh, a book i'm reading at the moment by the founder of netflix called no rules rules and it's about um, how you need way less structure and way less structured process if you have a higher talent density. So like the more capable and the higher quality your team are, like the less intervention and the less structure and process you're going to have to apply to them. And they talk about how like even one underperformer on their team is like, is a huge problem because that massively brings that entire team down. There's a lot of research that one poor performer isn't like just proportional to like the amount of work they have, that kind of bad behavior and stuff spreads. So even just things like talent density can have a huge impact on where you're going to feel those kind of like squeezes and pains and, and things like that. Yeah, I've heard like uh, that from some friends that 
some of the organizations they work at, they love almost everyone on their team and everyone pulls their weight and they're doing really well. But there's always like that one person that kind of just brings everything down a little bit. And then if there's that little bit of negativity there or lack of morale from them, it just kind of brings everybody's morale down. So it, it's really key to to bring in people that actually like all kind of like, you know, pull their own weight and everybody's pushing together for the same common goal, right? Um, the thing that I'm curious about also is like what made you go the route of uh, growing like to a full-time team? Because as Dario mentioned, a lot of production companies keep to a skeletal team because it allows them to be a little bit more nimble depending on the projects that come in. Like what was the part that made you realize, okay, from... Well, well it's, sorry, Kiel, to add on to that, it's also because we, there's a lot of uncertainty in our yeah, year to exactly. years as well, right? Like I guess after your question, Carol, maybe we can ask like how did you get to the point where your your cash inflow was so stable at the scale you're at, right? Like that would be an interesting topic to explore. But yeah, Carol, go ahead. Yeah, I, th I think that kind of, you're kind of like pretty much answering the, uh, asking the question where I was going to say like, what was the the thing that made you realize you needed to go from the freelancer model to the full-time employee model, which I guess is that in terms of like more certainty aspect. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we can talk about cash flow because cash flow is still painful at times, but is a horrendous beast that every business owner at some point probably has to wrestle with and you know we've had some a lot of rough times with cash flow but generally you know we're still here we're still going and, and we've grown a lot and now we're profitable um but when it comes to why in-house for me there's a huge competitive advantage there because one uh you're able to make higher margin if you're able to consistently bring in work which just kind of displaces the problem somewhere else to the like reliability of people that are in-house but also being able to train them up a lot. So we provide a huge amount of training for our team in terms of digital platforms and, you know, um, yeah, basically digital and online in areas that maybe a lot of filmmakers or editors or whatever wouldn't have as kind of stronger knowledge. Um, so we're able to output better stuff. And it also then means we can be much more collaborative with our clients. So like, you know, clients get to know our team, they kind of grow, they build good relationships with them. Uh, they know that we're all in-house as a part of what we pitch and we bring the clients into every stage of the process. So the creative team that do the pitching and the ideation, they'll work with them. Uh, obviously, they'll then come out to sh the shoots most of the time. But then also we invite them into the edit session. Once we have like a V1, we then like really bring them into the process and don't try and like shut them out and try and get them to just leave us alone. Um, so we really bring them in and get them really involved. And that's been a massive part as to what's made our um, product more addictive it's made it more interesting it's made it more exciting people like working with the same people and it just it means that we can turn things around quickly we can do it reliably you know when there's phases where there's not enough like the industry gets really busy and there's not enough freelancers and people are kind of squabbling over things or whatever like we can turn stuff if a client calls us up like if we have the capability the capacity we can turn it around tomorrow do you know what i mean which means we can do things quickly collaboratively um at a higher margin so there's so many benefits to it, but there is this one massive problem, which is uh, maintaining like a consistent flow of work. And, you know, and to do that, you have to really nail the marketing of the of the kind of production company, the branding and the product to make sure that you're just consistently firing out, you know, bangers, basically. Yeah, like that's always like a big challenge when you're when you're operating in the freelancer model where sometimes a client would say like, hey, so this is the project we have. This is the deadline. Is it doable? It says and then we always have to say, okay, sure, let's see, let's see who we can bring in for that. So then, I, I actually, you know what, Kirill, I actually don't find that to be such a such a big issue for us. I think it's more so the maybe fact not that, anymore. Do you know what I noticed being a big issue now is that 
uh, we've developed this good relationship with the client. And then they're like, okay, we have this smaller project. The budget is smaller and like, you know, timeline is whatever. Can you do it? And then I start to look at the details and I'm like, ooh, I know they can't afford it at this because when we get brought on, it's more so for like the big budget stuff, right? Versus yeah. this is like, okay, like we have an upcoming project. They were asking like, because we've started doing more manufacturing work and they're like oh yeah we just acquired this new company can you come in for a half day we just need a 60 second video just outlining what this is so the sales team would know what it is right and it's like okay well something like that we would normally charge seven or ten thousand for but i know i can tell that they budgeted a couple thousand for this and if we had like in-house people i would just go like yeah sure just go grab half of the footage come back and we'll just edit it for us the cost would be like half of that if we had the house right like we could make a still pretty good margin at whatever and we don't lose them to someone else that would take that on so that's that's the trouble i'm finding now and the benefit that i guess someone like rupert has with that big in-house team is that okay if a client just needs like two hours of footage capture and then we just go edit like a quick 30 second thing he can do it for us it's like okay well i can't hire a dp at like 1500 a day just to shoot like two hours of stuff right I, i'm not gonna get, i don't need him for the whole day but he would just pick up the project if it is a full day gig right so it's it's getting tricky now i'm noticing you're talking more so about the long-term relationships that you've de- that we've developed with clients where it, we do we've done a lot of project for projects for them in the past like like big and medium and then sometimes they just have very small needs that you know you would like to f- uh, help them out with because you know you're their trusted uh video partner at that point um, I was more so kind of like also talking about like sometimes when newer people come in, you know, like say we're already busy with a lot of people, a lot of clients, all of our resources are tied up and then another lead comes in asking for a project. Okay, let's see who might potentially be available. Not everyone is always available. Whereas Rupert, you said because of your own in-house team, mo- like almost all the time you're going to be able to take on more work depending on the needs, right? Yeah, there's a cap to that, of course, like like with anything, but but generally speaking, you know, we we try and almost never say no to clients. We always try and make it happen, like you say, because there's that, like you sort of mentioned, there's, there's that kind of opportunity cost as to, you know, if you say no, then it's not that, oh, no, you miss out on that small piece of work, whatever, it might not be the end of the world. But that means that then they're going and speaking to other suppliers, they're building relationships with other suppliers, and that, you know, that that can be problematic, right? So, so yeah, we try and we absolutely try our best not to say no and to be as accommodating as we can be while also not, you know, fucking ourselves over. What was the like, uh, like inciting incident for you guys to go from, you know, like just a starting out production company to like getting to the point where you're like, okay, now we're, we're, we're on the scene. We can, we, you can take on bigger projects, more projects. I can hire more staff. Like what was, what was that moment for you guys? So we raised investment, uh, a few years ago, well, like four or five years ago now, actually the first round of investment. So we raised uh, 150,000 pounds. There's a um, a scheme in the UK called SCIS, which is a um, seed enterprise investment scheme, something like that. And it basically is like obscene tax incentives for investors to invest in high risk startups. So it's like if you invested 100k in us, you would get 50k back in taxes like straight away. And if the business failed, you get 30k on top. So you only risk 20% of your capital. Um, and if we pay dividends, if we're profitable, you don't pay any taxes on those dividends. So it's like a scheme that the British government has to, to encourage high risk investment. Um, and we raised 150 K like that on that scheme and it was super straightforward. Um, and is was phenomenal. So that was a huge moment for us to be like, 
you know, fucking hell, we've got 150 grand here. Like, yeah. what, what can we do okay, with that? Nice. What does that mean for us? Like, we didn't want to spend it on kit. We wanted to scale a team, scale our marketing efforts, all that kind of thing. Um, and we did. It's funny. You, you say the word scheme, uh, but here in, in, in Canada, the word scheme you usually kind of like coincides <laughs> like, with the word scam. But <laughs> you were talking about it in such a positive way. It's like, I would love to be schemed and scammed a little bit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it is a scam. Who knows? But uh, no, in the in our context, not. But you know, also scheming is a thing in the UK. Like we say that as well. Like, oh, I feel like scheming your. Well, that's what I mean. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I did. You guys use any of that money on your website? Because I got to say, like, I really, really loved your website. Thanks, man. When I when I first came across it, it's funny because a couple of months, like when we we're first getting in, into redesigning our website, like your website was exactly what I had in mind, but. I have nowhere close to the amount of skill you would need to pull that off. Yeah, no, well, most of that we built in-house, to be honest. It's one of the beauties of like having the, the talent in-house is like you end up working on internal tasks and, you know, working on our own stuff um, when we have that availability. And after we had this big push where like during COVID, um, I was like, right, well, we're going to struggle to scale our revenue. We maybe grow our revenues like 30% during COVID, but it was like, it was rough. Um, so I was like, cool, what can we do during this period of time? Cause this is going to be over and then there's going to be a big boom again, I'm sure. And whatever. So how can we scale for that? So first of all, we hired really like key people. Um, we were like, cool, let's go out and hire some like bigger players, head of creative, those kinds of roles that are traditionally a lot more expensive and they were a lot cheaper and we got much better kind of applicants because people were looking for jobs. So we did that Two, We took on an office, which is like a 5,000 square foot office that can see everyone. We have our own studio here and everything else. And again, we signed a five-year lease during COVID, like when the rates were so, so, so much lower. And then we spent the time during COVID renovating the office and stripping it out and building ourselves. Um, and then the final thing was we rebranded. Re so we redid our website, we redid our showreels, we redid our logo, like everything. So the idea being we did a new like company ad, which is this like main ad with me like speaking that we run on like Facebook and Instagram and stuff. And we re we then sort of like as we were coming out of COVID, then relaunched the brand with this kind of like new team, new processes, new branding, new office, and just went sort of hard at it. And we doubled our revenue that year, year on year, um, which was like crazy for us. Kira, I don't know if you saw this branding, but it's on point. It it it, it perfectly it, yeah. encapsulates like creative, fun, high quality. That's like the vibe I get from watching it. And it's it's really well done. I, I got to give you props on that front. Thanks very much, man. Thank you. It's very hard to hit a lot of those to hit a lot of those points as a as a production company, because a lot of a lot of companies always like try to focus on the quality. That is like usually what like the biggest thing that people are pushing for is like, look at the quality of our work, the quality of our work, the quality of our work. But then, it, but it's really hard to kind of showcase the people behind it, you know, and what kind of energy and vibe everything is because creating videos should be fun, right? It's not always like a super serious thing at times, you know, like obviously, yeah, everyone wants to be serious and get good professional work, but why not have fun at the same time while doing it? And that's what, that's what we got is a vibe with your branding, especially the, that video that you guys put out, um, like kind of encompassing your business. No, absolutely. And like, I love the like, last supper picture they have. <laughs> yeah, that was so good. It's, it's so funny. I love it. I get a lot of shit for that for making myself Jesus, obviously. But, you know, that wasn't actually my choice. Oh, yeah. That was a producer that sat me. Oh, my I God. <laughs> but, yeah, there's a, it, I think it's super important. Like, you, you know, you guys mentioned a manufacturing client, right? We work with a lot of industries 
you know, as I'm sure you guys do, that aren't super, super exciting, that aren't super creative. And everyone is creative. I really believe that everyone's born creative and then we kind of lose it a little bit as time goes on. So like I see like working with us should be like a really enjoyable experience that you might pay for just as an experience. Like we need to be super communicative, like super friendly, like everyone you works with needs to be like really energetic, positive and fun. And like it should be like a creative exploration where they get really involved they get to like explore you know whatever it should be like the best part of all of the things that that person has at the time on their list of responsibilities working with us should be like the most fun thing that should be like the number one thing they look forward to they want to get into the office and they're like i'm excited to like hop on an email with perspective today like we're gonna have a bit of a laugh like i'm gonna come up with some ideas with them like it's gonna be like fun whereas like there's a lot of narrative sometimes in the industry that's like about clients that can be a bit snooty in my opinion where it's like let's shut them out like what do they know whatever like for sure they're not fluent in like the design language or the creative language of like video like for sure but we're meant to enable them in that sense so I think that it should be like super fun that's like the number one thing for me because like how many video production companies are there there's literally millions of us around the world that people that watch YouTube went out and bought a camera got a bit better and better and better at it and could shoot cinematic nice footage and kind of structure a narrative together so yeah it's gotta be fun right yeah the key is to figure out how to stand out from the rest of the crowd you know like you said everyone can everyone can shoot good quality videos now at this point the barriers to entry are almost non-existent at this point now how do you make yourself stand out you know like one of the simplest ways is figure out a way to be enjoyable to work with 100 100 percent. i want to talk about the the bulk uh, shooting thing you offer. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Because as soon as I saw that on your website, I'm like, how do you shoot a hundred pieces of content in like a day? Like, yeah, I was curious about that too. <laughs> it's a myth. It's a little lie. For, for those of you that don't know, like Rupert, actually, you know what, Rupert? Why don't you tell the audience like a bit, uh, like what it is? Yeah, for sure. Our bulk shooting scheme. Um, so basically, basically, we have this thing where um, that we offer to clients where we might set up a shoot. Uh, there might be two to three days. Um, we'll and we'll just shoot a absolute metric ton of content. That might be like social ads, retargeting ads, brand videos. Uh, we'll take for t- stills, like brand photos, whatever. And sometimes with some clients, we'll output like well over 300 deliverables with them. They might be translated into different languages. There might be part animation. There might be different versions where we're running different introductions to split test and run across socials. Um, you know, there might be like, Sometimes there's just like, um, there might be like 30 different pieces of content and then they're all being reformatted into like four or five different formats. Well, that's like 120 pieces of content there. And then it's being split into four different languages. Well, that's like 500 pieces of content. So yeah, so so that's kind of how it tends to work. It's like maximizing, because the shoot days are like a, are a pretty expensive bit, right? Once you're hiring like an actor and locations and everything else. And to me, it always felt so wasteful, like, turning up, spending hours perfecting a shot, like getting it right and then being like, cool, now we'll move on to the next scene. And it's like you film like three or four scenes in a day. Whereas like for some clients, you know, for some stuff like the high-end stuff, that's super important. And sometimes you might spend five days filming one 60-second advert. But for some clients, it's just not necessary, that level of like finesse and production value and, and time. And it's like, cool, well, actually we could shoot like 50 times the number of deliverables in like three days if we just if we if we kind of smash it out and structure it a certain way um so that's something we do for for specific clients and you know which means they they might spend 20 30k and fill up their content calendar for the year yeah that's definitely a, an interesting way to kind of maximizing value from certain aspects because 
you're you're right. Like a lot of the times we're planning for maybe say like a one video deliverable, you know, that's going to be like a 60 second ad that they're going to promote on their social media channels. But now the question is starting to become, how do we create more content for the client also where it also works within budget? You know, it's also you're not getting screwed over on doing too much work at the end of the day. And sometimes it is as simple as just creating the same piece of content, but maybe even in different formats or the the one I was curious about was all the different languages that you do. Like, are you are you doing like voiceover or just like subtitles that you're getting translated? Depends. Depends on the client. Sometimes, um, yeah. Sometimes it's VO. Sometimes it's subtitles. Sometimes it might be an animated video with dynamic text that then just gets translated. Um, so it really depends. Oh wow! And do you guys outsource for that, or is that all internal? Oh no, they got a big. They they got a, oh for the different languages, right? <laughs> yeah, every yeah, person yeah. on the team speaks a different language, so we can cover twenty six. <laughs> uh, we're not very good at talking to each other, but it's fine. It works out. Um, it depends. So we do have some different like people that speak different languages here, and people that work on the team might speak Spanish, German, you know, whatever else. Um, but generally speaking, it just depends on, yeah, if there's a language we don't have in-house yeah, yeah. or someone, we'll, we'll outsource it to a freelancer who'll do the translation for us. Or sometimes a client translates it for us. So that's happened before. Yeah, no, we've we've had that happen in the past where, where they've needed like for different uh, different languages. Mostly like here in, in Canada, we get the need for English and French at the very most, but even French not as often. So most of the time we just get English. But it makes sense for you because you're in Europe and they a lot of the companies that are based there need to be able to hit different targets on based on what's close by. Yeah, like every country is basically like a three-hour drive distance where if we drive three hours, we we'll still won't get to Ottawa or Montreal in our area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, absolutely, absolutely. But um, yeah, and that, yeah, we do a lot. Our two biggest clients are both outside of the UK. How do you manage like with different countries like that like all, all the time? Well, so sometimes we'll work with like local teams. So we're doing a project um, around sustainability that's like all over the world. We're producing like hundreds of films a year for them. And they're, you know, literally North America, South America, Japan, you know, all across Asia, all across Europe. Um, and a lot of the times we we'll work with local teams where we might find like a local videographer to film something if it's relatively straightforward um, or we'll fly out. But it just depends on the budget and everything else. And you know, see, so doing a sustainability project and flying all over the world doesn't seem like the smartest thing to do. So, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of counterintuitive there. <laughs> exactly. So, like promoting, promoting sustainable values, but we do offset like our carbon emissions and stuff like that. But it's not; it's just not the same. It's just hiring a local team, which is not going there, right? So, so yeah. So we, we it kind of varies, depends on the project and the needs and how difficult it is that we're filming. Because if we can avoid going there, then cool. It's going to be a bit easier. Uh, let, let's talk a bit about what the market is like in, in, in London, because we're, we're here in Toronto. We've spoken to other people in different cities across Toronto, North Carolina, uh, Seattle, but you're the first from London. So what's, what's the scene like over there? First peek into that, into that world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. I think, um, London is like, obviously there's a lot of really amazing creative generally that comes out of London. There's a lot of big creative agencies here. Um, there's a lot of like music, like music artists that come from London and, and from the UK and stuff. So for us, like internationally having that London badge is like people are keen to work with us still, if that makes sense going internationally. And that that's kind of helped us again with international clients in terms of the market here, like immediately, like, I think it's, I think it's pretty good at the moment, you know, we're in, we're definitely, you know, we're in a recession or whatever that means. But the thing that I've have noticed, and I don't know if you guys have this in, in Canada or, or what the kind of main macro factors are, but now we're getting a bit bigger. 
when stuff is happening in the news, we are feeling that happen. Like COVID was the first time that happened where we were like, you know, you see something on the news and it's like business is a disaster and we actually feel like that. Whereas before it'd be like, because we were tripling in size every year, it's like, well, we might grow 10% less because the economy hasn't grown as much, but we're not really noticing the changes in the economy. Um, whereas now the thing that I'm really noticing is that whenever there's uncertainty in the market, everyone holds back their budgets to the last possible moment. So they're like, oh shit, like the recession's coming, things aren't looking good, blah, blah, blah. And then they just like, hold on. And they're like, ah, and then they all at the same time go, shit, our financial year's about to end. Uh, we need to spend some money on video because <laughs> we've not spent any money and we're going to lose our budget next year. And it turns out everything was fine anyway. And all the clients try and all buy stuff at the same time, which is a bit nuts. So, um, or some of them will just pay us for a project. They'll just pay us like an invoice and then they'll just want us to hold on to it. And then later on, then we'll, they'll ring us up six months later and be like, yo, you know that 50K we sent you, can we do something with that now? <laughs> I've come to collect. This is a dream for cash flow. It's like, um, great times. Um, but yeah, so, so I think the market's pretty good. You know, we're at a size now where we're certainly feeling like the impacts of like mac mac macroeconomics, which isn't something I've ever really thought I'd have to think about in my life. Um, and but generally it's pretty good talent is is great here it's really easy to get like great editors great videographers you know all that sort of stuff um you know while in china like the number one thing that kids want to be when they grow up is an astronaut still and there's all the you know people there's so many people going to engineering uh in the uk the number one and I, or I believe it's the us even the number one thing kids want to be when they grow up is youtubers so lots of people that learn how to video edit and and film albeit to the detriment of our engineering capabilities um but yeah, so so generally pretty good. W w you know, how was that compared to to Canada? Does that sound pretty familiar, or are things different there? It's similar. Like I think um, we're not what you were saying about like being affected by the 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 the, the macroeconomic uh, changes. I think we're starting to notice that ourselves as well. Like because um, up until now, like we're even if the economy was was bad, like we were still growing because we were small, but. Um, I've noticed, for example, in like the last month and a half, like the amount of leads that came in decreased drastically. And that's yeah. obviously due to all the layoffs, due to the and, and the interest rate hikes and everything. And like several other production companies I've spoken to in Canada have said the same thing as well. Because at first I was like, ooh, I wonder if it's just us, maybe like something. I don't know, like because we're like it's like on page two right now maybe that's why like people are still staying to page one on google maybe that's what the reason but everyone else i spoke to they said yeah the amount of leads that came down like that would come in or, or has decreased but we still have a lot of work with our current clients and the other guys i spoke to they're in the same boat too so we're we're in the same same boat but in terms of like the scene here like um there's a lot of work to go around because there's a lot of a lot of companies, a lot of different industries, I would say. Like there's not too many. It's not like if you go to like the middle of Canada, it would be more like agricultural industry or whatnot. Oil and gas here, it's it's very diversified, I would say. I mean, maybe leaning a bit more on financial maybe, but not even. Like, again, it's pretty diversified here in Toronto. There's a ton of different industries like and there's a ton of work out there, too. There's not any like one dominant industry, I would say in Toronto, it can, it, it really depends. And it really depends on the circle that you're in that like what might be dominant for you might be what might be very minuscule for another organization. The one thing you, you did mention that kind of, I think will give everybody hope on this front was that you were mentioning that a lot of companies are holding on to their marketing budgets because, you know, they don't know what's going on right now with the, um, with the world. But 
they all have fiscal years that end and they need to spend those eventually. So if they're not spending it this month or next month, they're going to do it later. And one thing we noticed that's always been like the trend here in Toronto at, uh, year over year is that everyone comes in to do video work in August, September, October. Like those three months are massively busy all the time. Like, I, And I think a lot of companies have their fiscal years ending around that time. February too. In February too. February too is when a lot are, are like recently I noticed this, but I, but I noticed uh, at least even when we were working like from the very beginning, like August, September, that's when it got really busy constantly. So, you know, if they're not spending as much now, there's going to be more that come eventually. So everyone keep the hope alive, you know, like the money will come eventually. <laughs> also now, I might seem counterintuitive, but now's a great time to scale, right? Like if there's a lot, like if there's a lot of people, whenever like the demand for work drops in the industry, then loads of freelancers decide, oh shit, I've got to go get a job now, or I want to, I want something more stable or whatever. And then suddenly the labor market massively increases and like the cost of labor goes down and the quality of labor goes up. So like, if you know that you're going to be suddenly getting really busy in August, hire somebody in June, spend a month training them, making sure you're, you're sure you're super happy with them. And then when the tide comes back in, you've built like a massive fucking sandcastle. Whereas like, if you don't do that, and then the, then you suddenly try and hire people, for instance, for us, because we whenever the demand increases, we have to hire more people in-house. Like, that's a nightmare. We've then got to spend like a month training someone, and that takes extra effort to train them in the first place. So initially you have even less time. And if you've done that when there's a massive hike in in required output, then you're really going to struggle. So yeah, when the tide's out, like build a load of stuff, build a load of shit. And then when the tide comes back in, then you'll be, you'll have the sickest sandcastle on the beach. I don't know. That's, that's that. I'm so proud of that metaphor. It's changed my whole life. I'm going to use that again. It's like the buy low, sell high approach. Literally. The buy low, sell high approach of hiring talent. <laughs> Literally. It is the buy low. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. yeah I can imagine like, uh, like with, during those busy times, like when all that output is coming in, you won't have the time to sit down with a new employee and really train them. You have to try to probably like put them through the ringer, you know, and just let them kind of like get the work done. But yeah, no, it's a very smart move that you mentioned that it's good when these smaller times where it's not as busy, that would be the time to hire. But then there's also that paradox like, but you're not having as much cash flow at that point. Are you going to be able to afford to hire people at that point? You know, it's like a paradox that you just have to kind of, I guess, over time, you, you will figure out how to kind of swallow it a little bit, right? Yeah, it's scary. It's really scary. Like I am... Um... I, I, most of our growth, a lot of our growth in the early days, I would attribute to just how aggressive I was with cash flow. Like we would operate with like a two to three week runway. And I'd be like, sometimes I'd be like, shit, like if we don't sell something in the next week, like I'm not going to be able to pay salaries at the end of the month. Like whenever we hit zero on the bank account, I'd be like, cool, let's go spend some money. We've got an eight grand overdraft. That means we've got like, the fact we're on zero means we've got money to go spend and like invest in the company. And I was just putting everything, I was earning like very little money. I was just putting everything that we earned like back into the business as aggressively as possible. Like during the worst periods of time, like I'd be waking up at like one o'clock in the morning and I'd be looking at my cash flow spreadsheet like, oh my God, this is so stressful. Like I'm so worried oh about how we're going to get through the next few weeks. But we always managed it. Like sometimes like I would have to sit down and be like, cool, we've not got any work for later this month. I'm going to do two weeks of telesales. And I would just sit on the phone for like two weeks all day, every day, ringing companies um, to generate the business. So yeah, it, it, it's it's really difficult to, to have that mindset, I think. And it is like, and it causes challenges and stress elsewhere. And I think that just being the age I was and as naive as I was, it made me a lot more like capable of dealing with the situation. I'm not sure I could do it now, but 
but yeah, I, I think it's it, it's a really good thing to do if you can if you can kind of like sail the sea if you can kind of st- weather the storm. That's what I'm looking for. If you can kind of weather the storm, that's the mindset you gotta have if you want to do like aggressive growth, like how you did. Because for me, like just thinking about that had me stressed. Like I like to know I have a backup. <laughs> I even told Kira, I'm like, look, we want to grow. We gotta make sure we got the cash in the account. This or that. But what you're doing is like that. People like you tend to grow massive companies because it's like that. That's what you got to do, right? You got to take those. They're taking those the risks. risk. Yeah. yeah, we're 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 trying to be a little bit on the safer side because of that. It's a slow, slow burn, slow growth. Um, but actually, I was curious because you mentioned that you you did a lot of aggressive like outbound lead generation. You know, like trying to call up companies and things like that. Like, do you find a lot of success with that in that approach, or like how do you go about finding new business? So at the time it was okay. It was just more so that, um, strategizing back in the day would be like, right, does this thing cost money? One side would be like, yes. And it'd be like, cool, well, we can't do it then because we don't have any money. And the other side would be no. And it'd be like, cool, well, we can do that. So like one of the things I did is I spent like two days ringing up every single like marketing conference that was happening that year. And I went around and I said, look, um, if you don't sell all of your conference booths, uh, like I know you, like it always looks really shit when you sell out a conference and then you don't sell all of your booths and there's just an empty booth. Like we're a super fun company. Like we're already young. We've got absolutely no money, but we've got some kind of fancy looking camera equipment that we can come put down in a booth. And all you have to do is just give me 24 hours notice. Like if you ring me up 24 hours before and say, I have an empty booth, you can have it. I'll make your free video for the conference. So it's like win, 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 win for you. And cool. We get a free booth. And then lo and behold, like four days after we moved to London, one of these conferences rang me up and was like, we've got an £8,000 booth for you. You can have it free. We'd love a video. Um, and just someone's filled the space. And I was like, sick. And we got our first big, we only got one client from that conference of like three days of collecting like 200 business cards. Um, but that client was really significant for us. And they were like a, a FTSE 100 company in the UK, um, you know, and they had sort of proper budgets and all the rest of it. And they were a big part of that kind of fit, like kind of stage of growth. Um, so little things like that, like running out to networking events, like doing a lot of outbound sales calls, all that sort of stuff like that worked, but it's so hours and hours intensive. And it's something that in my opinion only really works well if you're the founder or if you're one of the people running the business, because people want to speak to you and are excited to speak to you. But if, if so-and-so sales exec calls you and they're like, Hey, I just wants to grab five minutes of your time and just whatever, like people just aren't nearly as interested, I think. So, you know, there are companies that build off the back of that, off the back of that approach. And I'm, you know, I'm sure that, that there's, you could have great success with it. But for us, the more time went on, the only sort of scalable option was like paid advertising and SEO and, you know, more organic stuff. So that's what we sort of focus on. And that's what generates most of our new businesses, Facebook and Instagram advertising. Oh, Facebook too, huh? Yeah, I mean, I I would think it was dead, but apparently not. Is it? Oh, so it must be big then in in the UK still, because uh, basically here, I mean, I don't know, like. Uh, it, well, what what kind of businesses? What kind of uh, leads are you getting through there? That's like, true. What yeah. are the type of businesses? We won uh, Red Bull through like a Facebook Instagram advert. We've won like Buzzfeed, really? like big clients for it. Yeah, big clients and small companies as well. Wow. 
So we've won huge budget stuff that's like 150k plus, and you know, but most of it is like five to six k budget stuff. Yeah, and it's all inbound, like, uh, and it's it's like you said, it's not as time intensive on the front end, more so on the back end. That it's time um, time intensive, uh, <laughs> yeah. but it kind of is a snowball effect. Like once you've put in some of the work, you can kind of sit back and then it'll kind of continue to do the work essentially at that point. Whereas if you have to do things in person, you know, it's it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like um, selling your time for hour and selling your time for money in a sense versus like creating the value with your time, right? Yeah, absolutely, and it it sets a different precedent because it's like if you go knock on someone's door and you said, I want to sell you some video content, they are going to know that, that, you know, you've come to them. So immediately they want a great deal. They want to back you down on price, everything else. But if, if a company rings us up and they just saw our Facebook, Instagram ad, a lot of the time we're not competing or pitching against other companies because they've come to us and we tell them like, that this is the price, the price is the price. Um, you know, this is how we work. And they're way more excited to work with us because they've seen us from afar. They've chosen us, whatever, rather than us like, all the work that's involved going to all these doors, knocking on the doors, getting in the house, like building that relationship, trying not to be fucked over too much in the process and, and batted down on price too much. And yeah, it, it's so much. And then you have to chase them all the time in terms of as leads, whereas like leads will come to us, like they'll chase us and then they'll they'll be keen to, to keen to close really quickly sometimes within like two days. So, so yeah, it, it's different. Would you say that... Um like comparing SEO to like paid advertising, which one would you say brings in more leads for you, the SEO or the paid advertising? Uh, paid advertising, but I don't think that... Oh, okay. I think we are the best at paid advertising of any of our competitors like in the country. And, and, and the type of ads we run like perform at a very high level. Um, whereas SEO, we do like, okay, we do well with front page and everything else. We're not the number one on seo our site isn't like soup like like all about the seo um so i think that it would be hard to say i think that if we were the best in the uk at seo and we were best in the uk at paid ads i might be able to kind of compare them more but it's just that we've performed well as a business at the at the paid ad side what about you guys you mentioned seo before you guys are on page you guys are on page one right for uh for london yeah yeah that's how you found us right i think so yeah 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 yeah. i think you guys are one of the the top ones of the, i mean i'll double check but i think you guys are on, we're on page one yeah i think we're third yeah it depends on the key terms yeah 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 you guys are ranking pretty well interesting yeah we're for us we haven't done paid uh advertising on 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 meta platforms we've done it on on google adwords and then i also paid for us on um those directory websites like clutch and upcity but I noticed that like we weren't really getting like leads coming in through there. It was still through Google, so I stopped it on on Upcity and Clutch. But on on Google AdWords, I I don't know if we were getting a lot coming through there. Like I think we were just getting them more so organically because every time I'd ask them how they found us, it was always for some like odd like key, search search term, like something completely unrelated. Yeah, it was completely unrelated to what like they they should have been looking for and somehow we were always ranking number one I, like i don't have the list That's of them good. in front of me but but most of our stuff was uh we, we did a big so once we re, we relaunched the business in, in 2021 i'd say we went from like 90 percent referrals to like probably 90 percent uh seo and then 10 yeah. percent referrals most of our work is uh 
like a lot of the work that we have now is like from current clients and retained clients. And that's the one thing I like about this industry is that every new client or lead that come, every client that you sign has the potential to be something more long-term, you know? And, um, like obviously like sometimes you have to change through clients over time, you know, so that not only um, they can grow and then move on to something else, but also you can grow, you know, like, I, it's funny because I think most of our clients are all new from like post 2021. Like um, I don't think we have any clients currently. Some that stragglers. Are from, some, some smaller stragglers. A lot of it is actually like people that worked at different companies and then moved on to other organizations. So it's kind of like new client, but same people. Um, and that's where I think that 10% referral that Dario was talking about kind of comes in. Um, but I don't think, I think if you're growing as a company, you shouldn't be having the same clients from like five to 10 years ago because you're not that same company anymore. Like, and they're also not that same client. Maybe after you get to a certain stage, like, you know, like that graph where it's like, it's like a curve. Yeah. Then you're like, but probably after a certain point, because you, you've, by then you've already established your style and like who you are and, and your branding. So, so yeah. Oh, uh, I forgot to mention also, we, I also stopped our Google AdWords lately because I was like, I didn't, I didn't think we were getting too, too many leads through that because everyone I spoke to that was a lead, like, it was never like, oh, we clicked on an ad. It was always like more so organic. So, wait, wait a minute. You said, uh, you said that like for about a month or two months, we haven't been getting any leads coming in. Does that because you quit the Google ads now? No, no, no. It was, it was, it was no, after no, no, that. Just, it was I'm after that. I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just joking. No, our, our thing now is um, we're gonna, we're focusing more on, on, on SEO, creating more content. And I think I like your idea of the Facebook and Instagram ads. So that's giving me an idea that I will discuss well, with Carol here. later today. <laughs> same here. The, the problem is, is that like Google AdWords is the lowest, like there's no barrier to entry whatsoever. It's like video production London, like, oh, 60, 70 pounds a click, fine. Like any, like any video production company in the country that wants leads has thought to maybe put themselves to the top of Google via paying for it. And it's like, and I just think that the comp how competitive it is to be there and the amount you have to pay to get into that slot versus like how much you can actually showcase as a brand. Like it's a bit of text. We make high quality videos. Like, like what can you really put in like a log line that no one's ever put before when it comes to video production? Like the, the only benefit of it is that they, they, they put Google. Google puts it in such a way where you almost confuse it with an organic link. Yeah, at times. Yeah, that's the They've weird got, thing. They, they're very good at tricking you into going like, "Oh, I'm about to. Oh, wait a minute. That's a that's a paid ad." You know, like since you now, uh, Rupert, have focused a lot on um, like paid advertising for a lot of your content. Like, how did you go about finding the right type of content to create for that that type of those types of advertisements? Like, uh, how did what was like the the process for you? Yeah, sure. So um, we were, so years ago, um, we were running out of money again. Um, we spent a lot of this investment money and um, we were trying to work out how to generate business at scale. Um, one, I went for lunch with one of my investors and they said, look, have you tried Facebook ads? And I was like, no, that seems mental. Um, and he was like, well, honestly, like, give it a go. I'll teach you how to do it. And I was like, well, okay, sick. I'll give it a go. It's your money, I suppose, in a weird way. Um, so I did that. And we just smashed together like a really crappy ad in like two hours, me speaking directly to camera, 
basically just bitching about like the production industry and how we're different and why we're different and why everything just doesn't isn't optimized for digital and social and everything else so i just had a mini rant on camera uh posted that to facebook and ran that as an ad and very quickly we started to get leads and i was like oh my god this is so sick like overnight we're generating a load of leads so i was like well imagine if we like put real effort in and we like made like a really cool artsy ad so then we made this really artistic ad um and ran that on facebook and that did terribly that cost like three times the amount and the, the the leads were awful so i was like okay right well it's clear that like me speaking directly has hit a nerve and the way in which i'm presenting this problem and the way in which i'm speaking about um really works for us so i was like cool what if i do this but in a much more interesting setting and we really go out of our way so we rented a tank and i stood on top of a tank while it was like running over a car like we did all like <laughs> i sat in like a drift car as it's like spinning around like all this kind of stuff and i basically just said the same thing um and that flew like and the better the advert got the better the quality of the lead that would come to us and the better the kind of projects we were getting and the higher budgets we were getting. So since then, just every single year, um, we've redone that advert or every other year we sort of redo that advert. And the most recent one, like we rented two planes and I stand on top of one of the other, one of the planes and then the videographer stands on the other plane and they fly together in unison. And then the video Chris filming me like ranting on top of a plane. He's the Tom Cruise of video production. Every year he yeah, tops yeah. it off with a new stunt. <laughs> I'm just taller and really scared of heights. So it's like, it's kind of like, you know. <laughs> Next time it's at the Burj Khalifa, right? hundred percent. I'd love every second of that being stood on top of that really tall building. Um, but yeah, so that, and that, that's worked really well for us. So that's kind of the main thing. And like other video production companies have tried to do similar stuff here. And then all the comments are like, oh, nice idea from perspective pictures you got here. So like, <laughs> nice. you know, so we've really like owned that space. And like I said, just the, the longer the ads have gone on, the weirder they've got from like me being pulled behind a court, like a horse while the horse like gallops in snow and I'm like skiing behind it and just like the weirdest shit, like the better, basically. There's like a scene Imitation that's Imitation like, is the greatest form of flattery. <laughs> very true. And one of my favorite scenes in the most recent ad is me like pregnant and I'm like sat in a hospital ward pregnant <laughs> and I'm holding hands with someone that's the client and the ultrasound is a video exporting. Like, that's like <laughs> one of my favorite recent ones. What was that Schwarzenegger movie where he gets pregnant? Uh, oh man, I forget. But yeah, I, I know I, I know what you mean. It's it's really great what you've done. You've basically found your your idea and your, and your kind of like brand in a way and then you're just basically re-executing it and finding new ideas for the same kind of core skeleton at the end of the day it's not like you're you're creating new idea like sorry not, not, that's not maybe not the right word it's like it's not like you're trying to create with completely new concepts for your ads all the time but you basically have uh the structured concept and you're just finding new ways to interpret it and then you know kind of improve on it and one-up it in a way every year so I, I i think that's that's like a key thing for a lot of companies to think about is like what signature style that's what he found yeah signature what makes style. your signature concept your signature story and then how do you just simply you know keep retelling it and keep executing on it yeah it's just refining you don't have to like reinvent the wheel every time like the script is like almost still even like five years later like almost unchanged from really from that initial thing it's like hey we're digital first we can do things quickly our team are on in house blah 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 like but it's the it's the execution that's changed have you tried linkedin advertising yeah we've tried linkedin um 
it just doesn't work quite as well as Facebook and Instagram. Uh, the traffic's just more expensive. But again, I think it's well worth giving it a go. Um, LinkedIn is a much easier platform, I think, to run ads on because it's like, again, it's so simple. But I think that's part of the problem is that like the easier it is to execute well on that platform, the more other companies like us are already operating on there. And then that makes the bidding higher and it makes it more competitive and you less memorable when you market at people. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn it's is crazy expensive on there. Yeah, the the traffic is like five times the cost of what it costs us on Facebook, Instagram, and cost per lead is like twice as much, and the quality is probably about the same, if not a little bit lower. Uh, definitely something for everyone to think about. <laughs> I guess one last thing before we we uh, we we end slate it is uh, I I just like you mentioned a lot about like you've been in a lot of high stress situations throughout the growth of your company, a lot of sleepless nights. I just want to know like. How did you get through those moments? Like, what tips do you have for that? Yeah, for sure. I think um, if it's not difficult, then you're not moving forward. You're not, like, growing, right? Like, that's, like, if it was easy, then everyone would do it. And, you know, everyone would be millionaires and everyone would have nice houses. Not that that's what drives me, but, you know, that it's it's super, super competitive what we do, right? There's a, Everybody has a mate at a company that runs a video production company or does video. So it is hard it's a hard industry like i think when i start another company i'm going to go into like a way less sexy industry that's like i'm going to go into like cleaning products or something and just like fucking kill it in that because like it's so competitive to want to run a video production company as i'm sure you guys know um and the fact that we all still exist is crazy but um i think that the most difficult thing for me was like when you see success stories you don't see how many times that was close to being a disaster story as it were like there are so many times that we literally nearly collapsed as a business or you know we thought maybe it wasn't going to work or i thought maybe i was going to give up and i think the thing that i would say to people is like just because you feel like that doesn't mean you should give up and doesn't mean it won't be a success right it's like and that was the thing for me as i was like i remember sitting there like oh do you think like mark zuckerberg in the early days had like cash flow problems and like, actually, is my business just never going to be a success because it's struggling now? Um, and that's absolutely not the case. I'm, I don't know if he had, I'm sure he has, he has all sorts of problems, the old lizard man. But like, it doesn't say, it doesn't, the fact that your business is, you're struggling with it, it just means that you might not have gotten it right yet. It doesn't mean that it's never going to be right. And I think just perseverance is like the number one thing. Resilience and perseverance, just keeping on trying and trying and trying and refining for as long as you can. Um you know, until you, it starts to kind of get a little bit easier and a little bit easier and then it gets harder again, then it gets a bit easier again. And, you know, then you earn more money and you're like, oh, this is mental. And then it gets harder again. That's kind of my thoughts on it. What, what about you guys? It's funny uh, that you mentioned that because it's, uh, it's like that saying where you never know just how close you are to just kind of getting it just right. You know, you can try 985 times and you may quit, but maybe it was the 986th time that is like kind of like the breakthrough for you. So like you said, you have to keep pushing no matter what. And uh, and then it'll come eventually, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like if you've if you're like refining and creating like something which is worthwhile, and like you know, eventually it be it will become good enough that people will pay you for that thing or that skill or that product. You just have to keep working at it to make something better and listen to that kind of client feedback and what people think of it and how people are interpreting it and pick up on those little like nuggets of someone you know, like you saying like earlier, like oh, you guys seem really fun, and it's like oh, cool, maybe we're like the fun ones, you know, maybe that's something we really double down on, whatever. So it's like just like refining, like iterating, listening to that feedback, like keep pushing through it. 
um you know and and worst comes to worst you could always go get a normal job at the end of it but you know it's like throw everything you can at trying it and then if it works out amazing and if it doesn't well you gave it everything so that's kind of my feeling on it but i mean you what's for you guys in terms of the journey what what's been the most difficult period you've had is it was it sort of like covid was that the hardest period of time to get going like when were you closest to like giving up never <laughs> we never we never really gave up i don't think we've had i don't think we've had like a moment like that just yet i think we're still in the process of that rapid growth and again i can like we consider our our true be like true true launch like back in 21 so if we're only in the third year in considering so i don't think we've been tested to that to like your extent just yet but i think we're getting close to the point where those moments will probably come up in our future what do you yeah. think Kirill? i i think um i think we haven't gotten to the point where we've been so stressed uh or uh stretched thin that we that you know like things might collapse because of how nimble we've kept it and i think that's kind of been um in a way the one thing that's kind of kept us going so that with difficult times do come you know, have come around we haven't felt it as a result whereas you rupert have an office you have a team you have people you have more responsibilities than than uh, uh than dario and i have right so that's probably why we haven't gotten to that kind of point i mean i i would say that the the pandemic definitely was a, a period of like uncertainty because up until that point as our as we mentioned we only treated the business like as if it was just two freelancers working together we had no idea what was really going on we had no idea where things were going to go from that point and um i think as we started to reevaluate things as we started the podcast and started to talk to more people and understand what it really meant to be a business it kind of shifted our mindset and i think we're uh, our biggest our, our next biggest thing is to make a big risky leap into something you know but we're trying to be smart about it and i think that's where we'll start to kind of feel those those um those points of pain but i um i, I think we'll have to wait till that point before we could really feel something if the more darren i keep it uh, lean uh like we are now i feel like we won't feel as many of those challenges and pains that other companies might do but i think the second we get an office or a space for ourselves the second we start hiring people that's when these potential uh challenges are going to start arising so we're just we're trying to prepare and i'm i'm worried that we might be trying to over prepare a little bit too but yeah, you know I agree. it takes i think it, i think uh there's going to be a, a period where Dar and i realize that it's time to make some some big leaps cuz like you said Rupert if it's not easy uh if it's if it's too easy you're not going to be growing if you don't take those risks at some point in your in your business you're not going to be able to to move up you know like actually like the funny thing is remember Darren when we invested in 360 video back in the day i would say that was a pretty risky move back then but it wasn't like to the scale of a business you know what i just remembered Carol uh we did have actually like a moment of like big self doubt like i think it must have been around 2017 or so cuz again we were like still we didn't know what the hell we were doing okay so we were just literally just two freelancers like running this business at the time and i i remember like Kirill you were the one that was you were really stressed out at the time cuz like we'd meet like pretty often and i remember you at one point were like you're like we got to figure this out like we were not getting anything like we had a very slow period it was a couple months like basically no work and you were getting very stressed out and me like I I was just goofy saying like whatever it'll like sort itself out but like then I started to think about it too I'm like ooh what if this thing doesn't doesn't work out 
Should I go back to the bank? <laughs> Work at the bank again? <laughs> yeah, because we had just graduated from university. And Do you remember that night? Yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember. I remember what like, you were Because we about. had yeah. several nights where we had like some very serious discussions, like what is going to happen, like because just things weren't weren't advancing well enough, right? Like I, I can I can be honest and say maybe the business was making maybe forty to fifty k a year for a couple of years. The only thing that was keeping us personally afloat was the fact that we were freelancing doing other things and also not having as many of our own personal costs. So that's why, you know, to be honest, uh, Rupert, like lapse as a business technically shouldn't really exist if you look at everything by the numbers and face value because it was never sustainable until maybe last year. It actually... 21, I, you know what? I would say 20, 21, 22, 23. Like, it, it well, from, that's what we started focusing on. It. No, but even 2020, remember like September to November, we basically made more than we did in 2019 because every business yeah, opened that's, up. Yeah, that's true. I don't know how it was in the UK, but over here, they like, well, they shut everything down. It was brutal. Yeah, yeah. So like we we had like no, I, how was it over there actually? How was the government over there? Did they completely botch everything like they did here? Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, you know, in fairness, I think to any government, it was no one really knew what was going on and everyone was just throwing shit around, weren't they? But but yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty chaotic here. We were the longest closed province in the world. Do you remember? Really? Like everyone else, yeah, yeah everyone else was open. That. Ontario still had up its ass. Like it was wild, man. That's nuts. And like we, they opened up briefly from like September to November in 2020. So we got a lot, a, a lot of work in at that point, and then they closed everything down again. Yeah. And then they opened up in like, like mid 2021 was when we were able to actually start working again. And that's why I was saying, Dario, that I feel like 2022 was actually where the sustainable aspect of the business where cash flow was actually starting to come in consistently. Leads were starting to be more consistent. We did a lot of the legwork and groundwork in 2020 and 2021 to kind of get it to that point. So now after like maybe like a year, two years of sustainability, this is where we can actually start making calculated risks uh, within the business and figuring out how to push and grow. But, you know, I think it's like a, we take it month by month and see where it goes what is it that you guys want to where do you want to get to what's the what do you guys want to achieve because i suppose that's then sets up the response right what's like do you want to build a company and sell it do you want to like build a company and maximize profits do you want to just like keep the team relatively small and make stuff that you guys are really passionate about like what's the what is it you guys want to achieve i think our goal for i think our goal right now is keep the team pretty skeletal and also maximize profit. I I think that'll probably change as, you know, like we speak to more people, get different takes on it. And also like different, ex like we experience different stages of the business. Like uh, we might decide to go in a different direction, but I think probably Kirill and I should sit down one of these days and plan things out. But yeah, what, what would you say in that case then? Keeping, keeping things skeletal and trying to maximize profit. Yeah, those, that's kind of like the main point right now, just to kind of like get us to that, uh, to that consistent, sustainable level is what we're trying to kind of get, and then we can evolve to the next one. Yeah, so I think I think that um, in terms of problem is, is profit is the in this in these earlier stages is the enemy of growth. Like the more if if somebody gives gives you a thousand pounds, right? What could you guys do with that? Could it be spending money on marketing? Could it be spending money on equipment? Could it be investing in new team members that you train? Could it be getting office space? Like there's still so much stuff that's uncharted in terms of what you can invest in. And by like, if you really believe that you're going to build like a, a scale, like a growing business and you have a growing business, like every time you take a thousand pounds out of that business, you're taking 
£2,000 away from yourself next year and £4,000 a year after and £8,000 a year after that. So it's like, if you want to build like a skeletal team and um, just like maximize profit, I think that's I think that's great. There's like other production companies that I have like a relationships with in London who will be like a team of four producers, five producers. They'll do like X number of projects and they'll make like a big profit each year and they're just sort of happy with working on projects there. They're sort of, you know, that, 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 that they have um, and their overheads are pretty low, right? So they've got the flexibility, like if they want to go off and like, traveling for three months or whatever, they can just kind of close their doors and go do that and then come back if they really want to. Um, whereas if you want to build something higher margin in the longer term, something that might be saleable, something that's going to run, if you guys don't turn up to work, if I didn't come into work all next week, like stuff would still happen. We would still scale. Like there'll still be new business coming in. There'll be a team behind that. Like, you know, and if you want to, if you want to get to that stage where something sort of runs itself, and and you have something that might be saleable as a business and something that, um, you know, growing to that sort of stage, then investing, reinvesting money. So maximizing profit, I might be misappropriating what you mean by that, but like taking profit and then reinvesting it constantly in the business is is, is going to be the the way to do that. But it just depends on on what you guys want. But now is like a good time, I think, anyway, to take risks because there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of people in the market there's a lot of employment, like, and if it all goes like tits up and you guys fuck it, you can always just go back to where you are now, right? You can strip it right back again. There's, you know, it'd be very stressful, but there's nothing stopping you doing that and refining it down to these clients you have. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm a big believer in investing. I look at you and I go, man, that guy's already like in a really good spot. Like what, what are your like next steps? Like, where do you want to go from there, from where you're at right now? So we're looking at like, um, there's a few things. One, we're looking at like diversifying a little bit into like other products and other sort of things in the space that, that you know, we'll, we'll be announcing at some stage. Um, but I think there are some big opportunities that aren't just in production, but also I don't want to become like an agency that does like paid social and stuff like that. I very much want to stay in like production and like own the space and do this really well. Um, two is just like bringing on bigger and better, more exciting clients and like continuing to do that. Like, you know, we're not a bolts factory where we just make bolts and then whoever buys them, it doesn't matter. Like we become our clients. That's an unavoidable reality of this industry. Like, you know, the clients we win is what like, you know, employees are going to spend like all day every day working on here, right? So winning and, and holding on to the best, the most exciting clients, the clients have the budget and the drive to do exciting stuff, you know, and continuing to grow on that. That's really, really important. And then for me, like, I want to spend the next sort of two year, three years, con like continuing to scale the business, um, and then look at some stage at selling it. And that's something I'm very open with, you know, in terms of the team. The team will have like um, like equity in the business or promised equity, so they're part of like a profit share scheme. So they would all benefit from that as well. Um, yeah, and I'd like to, to to look at an exit further on down the line where we might sell to like an ad agency or you know whoever, um, and then I'll go do something else for a bit. Don't know. Go on holiday for a bit. Like something separate from video or, or, or what's still in the video field? Maybe, yeah. I don't really know, to be honest. There's a few areas that interest me. Like I'm really interested generally in like entrepreneurship and like starting another business. And um, I've I've got like a property business on the side that I do. So I'm interested in sort of scaling that and the commercials involved in that. Um, but also I like love like the craft. Like I love filmmaking. I love making documentaries. And I would quite like to you know, look at just doing that full time and just becoming like a director and focusing on that. So, um, it really, it really kind of depends. I'm pretty open. I'm very much like about the path of least resistance. So 
I know that there's like a thousand things I could probably really enjoy doing, but it just depends on how things ravel and come together. And then I'll choose the path of least resistance what for what I think I can kind of get furthest in or will enjoy the most based on what opportunities invented, like offered to me or whatever. So yeah, I'm kind of down for anything really. I'll come work at your guys' company in Canada. That'd be nice. Relocate. <laughs> yeah, maybe he'll maybe he'll be one of our uh, next hires. Yeah, there you go. That'd be nice. I'll have a great time. I could be your um, CFO or something. No, I'd be I'd be a terrible CFO. I could be your like commercial. I'll be a head of sales. I'll be us. I'll, I'll be a good head of sales. Uh, hey, listen, if you come on in sales, I feel, I feel like we'll probably sell the company in like a year or two after that. <laughs> uh, okay, last question. Uh, how did you come up with the name? Or what does the name mean, or whatnot? Oh, so awful, the name. Um, so I made a video when I was like, so I was still running these, this like, I had this business renting out Nerf guns for kids' parties, my mum. One of the things we did to promote that, as I sort of said earlier, was like um, make YouTube videos. And some of those YouTube videos went viral. Uh, and I made a video called like Nerf War the Movie, which was, you know, huge. Um, and uh, so we made that. Um, and I was sat on the sofa and I was like, oh, like, um, I want to like make it look like a professional production and have like a movie intro, like, you know, Fox Entertainment da, 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 or whatever. Um, and I thought like, oh, like I like, first of all, perspective, like I love perspective. Like I was like obsessed with like, whoa, everybody sees the world differently. We all have different perspectives. Like the world isn't black and white. Like it's gray. Like we all live different realities, whatever, you know, classic, like. 16 year old existential crisis kind of vibes and i thought cool right perspective is a great point and then i also just really liked martin scorsese scorsese or however you say it with an accent um and they i saw him speaking about like you're on my next picture i was like oh that's so cool well that's a legend so i just thought i put the two together like perspective pictures <laughs> but fucking disaster of a name like it's so pointless it makes everybody think i like do it stills. i like, like it it's not bad oh like i actually almost hate the name i'd quite like to drop pictures and maybe just be perspective like that cool moment in the um in uh, no it's good i like it but yeah well thank you i'm glad you like it and i'll i've come round to it but it is definitely a bit misleading given that we're not a photography company so maybe maybe because i watch a lot of movies like pictures for me like works also as a production company now. yeah they well there you go all photography businesses don't use the word pictures in it. So I think you have that going for you. They always say so-and-so yeah. photography, this and this photography. No one says so-and-so pictures, right? It, it almost sounds amateur for a photographer though, yeah, which is funny. That's, true. <laughs> that's very true. For video, for video, your boutique, if your name is with the word pictures in it. If it's photography, yeah, you're just, you're just a schmo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll write that. What about your guy's name? How did you come up with yours? Oh yeah, we have a funny story on that too. So we came up with it because at the time... I was working on this very dumb short film and the name for that was Laps because I thought it looked cool. And uh, when we needed to start up the company, I was like, oh, you know, it sounds cool. And then we could just add productions at the end because media doesn't work and all the other film, Laps films doesn't work either. It just sounds odd, but Laps productions worked. And then for years we were like, we were like, we got to figure out a meaning to this because everyone's going to ask us and then we'd, we won't have a good answer and almost no one asked us. <laughs> and then just recently we came up we came up with with like we turned it into like an acronym so it stands for lasting amazing pictures sounds and experiences so if a client was like asks us what well. it is like that's the story that's the story <laughs> we give them you know <laughs> yeah and even like some of the marketing material that, that we like created for it and i'm like oh my god that actually looks so legit like do you want to know how i came up with that one it was it was i, I distinctly remember it was uh 
2021, like uh, January 1st, like I got home from Carol's party drunk. I'm about, I'm lying in bed. I'm about to pass out. And then it just came to me. I'm like, what could it stand for? I'm like, oh, what if it's an acronym? I'm like, what could I put drunk for that? Thoughts. Lasting, la- lasting, amazing picture, sounds and experiences. And I was like, oh, that's really good. I was like, I'll tell Carol tomorrow morning. And I'm like, will I remember this tomorrow no, morning? You're, you're going to forget. Right Probably not. Drunk thoughts I got, need I got to be the memory. Down. I was like, I haven't got a memory of a goldfish. This is a bad idea. I should write it down. And thank God I did. <laughs> oh, did you write it down on an app or did you write it down on a piece of paper? I did it on Google Keep, but uh, thank God for phones. Otherwise, we would have still been uh, back at square one with that name. <laughs> you should screenshot that Keep and put that on the uh, on the wall in the office. That's a nice. That's a nice. Moment. I should. Yeah, oh, that's like that's that. that's yeah. not a bad. I like that. I like that. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, like what you said that you do with your office, uh, with your space, where you basically like put a lot of like pictures, memories, and milestones and things like that on the walls. I'm like, and like I've I've thought about like what our ideal space would be eventually, and I've I've thought about doing things like that too. It's like you got to make the space your own, and that's kind of like the fun of having your own studio, uh, your own space so yeah that that'll that screenshot will definitely be framed and put up there as well there you go it works great because it's like as well like a client will come in you'll like meet and greet them chat to them and you'll be like cool do you want a cup of tea or whatever you guys would say in canada maybe tea as well um and then like then they'll be like yeah cool and then like you have to leave them right you have to like there's a process where you have to leave them for a bit so you then i then disappear and make them tea or whatever and then they're stood somewhere. But if they're stood next to a wall that's like covered in like little memories and like moments, by the time you come back, without a doubt, they'll be like, hey, what's this thing you did over here? And like, well, what's, what was that about? And then you've got like a talking point and it kind of helps break the ice further and they get to know you a little bit more and whatever. So it's like there's a nice like moment there when you have like a wall with memories. Like ours has got like newspaper clippings from where Lombardy across America, like old posters, old currency, like like passes when we got into buildings, like. There's a note on the wall where I was drunk in Thailand and I like, similar to you, was like, oh, well, I want to write down my goals for next year for the business. And I wrote all the goals, like, I want us to do £100,000 in revenue. That would be crazy. And I wrote it all down on like this like little hotel notepad. Um, and I've got that stuck on the wall. Um, and that's like, a, so it's like loads of nice little like moments and stuff that you can kind of look back on like, oh, that's. That's a nice, that was nice. And you can talk to someone. Display your stories, essentially. Yeah. Display and frame your stories. You know, it's always going to be a talking point because it also shows your growth. And I feel like clients like to resonate with uh, companies that that have a story too. Yeah, absolutely. Building like culture and building narrative. Like it's something that's hard to do when you're only like a few years old. But I think it's really important to to try and do that because it creates, it, like you're trying to create almost like heritage, right? Around like you as a brand, which when you're, you know, you've existed for six months, might be McDonald's rappers from like a big night out, but you know, that was a good night nonetheless. So enjoy it. Well, Rupert, thanks for joining us uh, on the show, man. Like uh, we really appreciate you sharing your perspective on, uh, on the industry and uh, (laughs) see it works. It works for you guys. (laughs) No, thank you very much for having me. It was a, it was a good time. Hopefully you'll be able to cut something together from all my ramblings. Oh, they're good ramblings. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Rupert. Thanks, Rupert. Thanks so much, guys. I'll chat soon. I'll let, I'll hit you up when I'm in Canada and hit me up if you come to London. 100%. I'll, I'll definitely be there eventually. Like I have family that lives in London, so I'll definitely hit you up there. Oh, perfect. Well, I'll give you an office tour and we'll go out, some, we'll go out and get pissed. Get drinks. I don't, you guys don't say piss, do you? That's not, uh, that's not Canadian. We thing. don't, but I understand the... Yeah, we, we, use yeah. it in, we use it in a different context. <laughs> Getting pissed is just being angry. 